electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Here is what is ahead. The resilient shopper Walmart raises its profit forecast. Home Depot's revenue growth stronger than expected. And a new survey from MasterCard predicting Black Friday spending will be in full force in stores and online. We'll have those details. But is the consumer actually strong enough to drive sales of RVs? The Winnebago CEO is here to discuss the growing outdoor recreational industry and whether rising rates and a slowing economy will dent future demand. All right, Morgan Brennan, thank you very much. All right, so we are keeping a close eye on these headlines, this AP story citing U.S. official about a Russian missile or Russian missiles that crossed into Poland, potentially killing somebody. Those headlines, and again, there's a lot we don't know, folks. We're going to confirm everything. Those headlines taking the market down in the last 30 minutes or so. So again, the Dow, it is down 82. It was up 450 at one point today. We've got the S&P, the NASDAQ positive. NASDAQ still up a percent. So market's not reacting too strongly. But you do have a senior spokesperson for the Polish government saying they are convening a national security meeting. Again, a lot happening now. It is very fluid. We'll get you more as we know it here on CNBC. Treasury yep. yields down as bonds are getting bought as well. And this is Morgan Space. The defense stocks, they're moving higher right now. I think, Morgan, it's not hard to put two and two together if you've got a potential even accident with a NATO member and a Russian missile. As AP is reporting, you're going to get a bid on the defense stocks. As AP is reporting, I will tell you just a few moments ago, I got off the phone with senior defense officials. Defense Department, Department of Defense here uh, in the U.S. is assessing the situation. It is my understanding that we are going to be seeing a press briefing in the next hour uh, and that this is being looked at closely. It's also my understanding that uh, I think according to the Ukrainians, they've seen the largest number of missile strikes uh, there today. So a very fluid situation. A lot of details yet to come. We're keeping a close eye on this uh, as AP is making uh, reporting yeah. from a senior defense official, a senior intelligence official, that this was Russian missiles striking in Poland. Uh, but I expect we're going to get more information as this hour unfolds. So this Ryan. so so Morgan, awesome work, because that you're, you're basically confirming that the Defense Department is saying they know something. If yes. they're going to have a press briefing about it, they're not saying it's not happening. So that's that's an important sort of. But uh, we don't know the details. We don't we necessarily don't. know if it's missile strikes. We don't know if it's actually Russian missiles that have accidentally crossed into Poland, whether it's Ukrainian or whether it's a different situation altogether. It's very fluid. That is right. And, and that's what people, investors out there have to realize. And I know you're on Twitter and everybody's going crazy about it. But the reality is you've got to confirm the stories. There are pictures going around, whatever, until we get official confirmation from the government of Poland, which, by the way, is is confirmed to be convening a national yes. security meeting. So the government of Poland is obviously very concerned about this as well. There are also reports in Hungarian newspapers about the possibility of, of another pipeline being shut off due to an electricity issue. So again, there's a lot happening right now, and we're going to bring it to you, but only when we actually get you, you know, the facts. That's right. And I would also just note that since Russia did uh, invade Ukraine earlier this year, this has always been one of the key concerns. The fact that you have Poland and other NATO countries that are flanking Ukraine and that any kind of uh, acceleration in any kind of strikes or yeah. warfare could have the potential to spill over. And that is when it starts to raise the alarm bells around NATO, the U.S. and our allies potentially getting involved in what that could look like. But we also know, and I know from my conversations with defense officials over these months, uh, that, and the State Department's been the lead on this, uh, that those diplomatic lines of communication have been in full force and have been open. And, and the other, you know, if we're, we're seeming to get confirmation about the actual incident, if the reports are accurate, again, it's a big if, that it does not appear that this was any kind of a strategic target. It looks like this missile, again, waiting to get confirmation, or missiles hit a farm. So, and I only bring that up in a sense that it looks like the, what we're hearing from the senior U.S. officials, at least confirming the missile, if the accuracy of the location is indeed correct, this is not, this may not be an escalation if it was indeed a Russian missile. It could simply be a tragic 
Now, I, I hate to say accident because they're at war, so it's not an accident that they're firing missiles off. But I think you get my, my point in the difference. So, again, there's a, lot, there's a lot happening here. I think the reports that are surfacing so far are referencing these as stray missiles. But, again, it is a fluid situation, and yep. we need to see what comes out of this. Uh, and we will be awaiting some more confirmation and more insight, including from the Department of Defense, uh, over the next hour. Yeah, and, and I know we're going to move on, but just from a final sense of timing, I want to put everybody's calendar into perspective here, too. What's today's date? The 14th, 15th of November? The, thank you, Gino. 15th of November. The EU sanctions, the full sanctions on Russian oil, where they're going to basically make it impossible to ship Russian oil by ship, by outlawing insurance transactions, those do not go into effect until December 5th. But that's not that far off, Morgan. So there's been a lot of concern. I'm not tying the two together. I'm simply piecing the energy markets together that will there be some kind of escalation by Putin if they fear that these sanctions, which, by the way, are not enforced yet, and there's been some chatter in Italy and other places that maybe they should, they should back off them, will they go in? And if so, will there be some kind of retaliation by Russian oil producers, Vladimir Putin? And by the way, the, if that wasn't enough, the OPEC meeting is actually on a Sunday. That is December 4th in Vienna, Austria. So you've got the OPEC meeting on Sunday the 4th, and the full EU sanctions kicking in on Russian oil, which could take, Morgan, by some estimates, either 850,000 to 1.5 million barrels a day off most of the global market. They could probably make a lot of that up by selling it to India and China, as they have been already. But I haven't spoken to anyone who does not think there is some kind of... Did you hear that as well? Yeah, I did hear okay, that. Okay, I was worried. That might just be in my own head. That there was some kind of reaction... Uh, to those potential sanctions. Either way, a big developing story right now. Which, of course, puts the G20 meeting in focus as well when you're talking about getting uh, key countries on board where this conflict uh, with Ukraine and Russia is concerned. China, India being uh, in focus because of that oil piece of the puzzle. Well, I, I, I tell you what, Morgan, I know we're just, we're just fill-ins. We're just right now. But I'm really glad that our defense expert is here. Uh, yeah. Seriously, I am. Sadly. Well, we are uh, going to be talking about that uh, more as the hour unfolds here. We get more information, more confirmation, more headlines, uh, more detail, more clarity around this. Uh, we will be bringing you a guest in, in just a short while. In the meantime, we're going to focus on something else that the market is focused on right now. That is a clearer picture of the consumer that is emerging, given the retail earnings we're starting to get. Walmart, the largest U.S. retailer, surpassing Wall Street profit estimates and raising its outlook despite rising inflation. The company announcing a $20 billion buyback. This is a sign of confidence in the future, potentially. Walmart's bloated inventories also improving up 12.4% in the third quarter. That was compared to a 26% increase in the second. The stock surging. It is up 7% right now. Uh, and it's having its best day since March 2020. It's, uh, I think, a key part of why you're seeing major averages continue to hang on to some of their gains right now. Home Depot shares are also higher. The housing slump didn't hurt its results. The company reported a 6% rise in revenue. It reaffirmed its outlook. Customers spent an average of 8.8% more per transaction, but the number of transactions fell more than 4%. So this is that That's inflation, inflation right there. You, 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 you shopped less, but, but you, you spent more. more. All right. So these results come ahead of the holiday shopping season. Our next guest says that is going to be strong. Steve Sadov is the senior advisor at MasterCard and has the results of the new MasterCard spending survey. Steve, uh, it's great to see you. And I guess walk me through those results. What are we expecting come next Friday, Black Friday? Morgan, it looks like it's going to be a strong holiday season. You can start to see it from the uh, Walmart results to date. The holiday Black Friday forecast is for plus 15 percent. It's going to be a in-store as well as online. Uh, in-store is back. The holiday forecast for the full season is for a plus 7 percent. That's reflecting continued strength on the part of the consumer. But it is a little bit slower than we were seeing uh, earlier in the summer. You saw double-digit growth. You're seeing about a 10 percent growth in the month of October. So we're starting to see the lower end of the market slow down. But overall, we're seeing a very healthy consumer. I would describe this, and Brian and I have talked about this a lot in the past. Right now, we're a reversion to the norm. A year ago, there was no discounting going on. There wasn't inventory. Right now, there's obviously a lot of excess inventory in the system because of the supply chain. You're starting to see it clearing out. 
I would expect to see a lot of doorbusters. You're going to see department stores very active on Black Friday. The excess inventory is being clear. You're seeing it in electronics, apparel in certain categories. The consumer wants experiences, so the consumer remains strong. But the categories that were not performing well early in the pandemic are the ones that you're starting to see do really well yeah. in the current environment. And, and Steve, as you, as you know, we have talked many times online, offline. I've got a, I've got a, a lovely spouse who works in the consumer products business. So we talk about this around the dinner table. And I know that Christmas was planned back in May. So what are we hearing for next year? We had not enough stuff. Now we have too much stuff. They're going to have to clear it out, right, for seasonal issues, whatever, maybe heavy discounting. But what about next spring? I'm sure you're already looking at that. We went from too much to not enough and back and forth. Where do we go in six months? I think use this term reversion to the norm. We're in a more normalized period. Inflation is uh, tracking, let's call it in that seven, eight percent growth rate. The consumer has slowed and retailers and brands are planning very cautiously as we go into next year. They understand they had to fix the supply chain problems. We had too much of some things, not enough of others. I think as we go into 23, the expectations are for a little bit slower consumer environment. Inflation is still out there. So we're, we're, we're seeing 7 8% growth uh, yeah. forecast for the holiday season. You're going to continue to see inflation affecting it. But I expect to see a relatively robust number going into next year. But again, the lower end of the market is stretched. I would expect to see the higher end market stay up uh, doing reasonably well. Well, Steve, it's a little off topic, I guess. And if, if you can't comment and I understand, we're going to talk about it, I think, more with Steve Leisman in a few minutes. The, the New York Fed had data today that shows that household debt is at a record high in the United States. A lot of that's mortgage, but credit card debt is at $930 billion. It is up or it's up um, huge from just a couple of years ago. Not only is the balance are the balances higher, but as we know, those if they're not locked in, you know, some some, you know, APR gift that you get. That means not only is your balance higher, but your interest payment is higher. That doesn't sound like good news for the middle class when it comes to spending that people are seemingly getting tapped out on their credit. Well, I'm not going to comment on the credit balances. I think that the savings rate clearly has slowed. You you had a big savings increase during the uh, pandemic. That slowed dramatically. The lower end of the market has eaten into their savings. They're suffering. And I think that they're having a much tougher time. And you're seeing trading down going. uh, And, you know, you heard it from Walmart that the higher the hundred thousand dollar income consumer is trading down to Walmart. This is a period of time when you'll see the Walmarts of the world, the dollar stores, the TJXs, all of those are going to perform well. The lower end of the market, the lower end consumer, to what you're saying, Brian, is going to feel the pain relative to their savings. The higher end of the market, I think, is going to continue to hold up very well. That's always been tied much more to the stock market. The stock market's been resilient. It's still at a very high level. But I would think that the lower end of the market, that consumer is going to have a tougher time as we go into the next year. Yeah. Amazing. Some of the numbers on what they call revolving debt, which is a majority credit card. Steve Sadov, really appreciate your views. Could be a really interesting holiday season, Steve. Thank you very much. All right. Meantime, a new development in the crumbling crypto space this time around BlockFi. Kate Rooney has more. Kate, what have we learned? Hey, Brian. BlockFi reportedly preparing for bankruptcy. This is a lending company that Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX had agreed to bail out, to buy earlier this year. And it is the latest collateral damage we're seeing from FTX's collapse. This report today coming from The Wall Street Journal. No comment from BlockFi. We did reach out to the company. It comes, though, as that company, BlockFi, halts customer withdrawals. And in a blog post yesterday said rumors that a majority of BlockFi's assets are custodied at FTX are false. But they do have what they called significant exposure to FTX. Flashback to the summer, guys. Sam Bankman-Fried was looking to bail this company out after major crypto companies ran into issues with lending counterparties. We saw cascading liquidations at the time. And FTX had agreed to buy this company at a maximum price of $240 million. The New Jersey-based company was worth $4.8 billion earlier this year. 
It had also gotten a $400 million credit facility from FTX at the time. Sam Bigman-Fried also tweeting last hour. He is now the former CEO of FTX. He talked about the potential errors at his two companies, Alameda. The hedge fund had more assets, he says, than liabilities. He also said they had a margin position on FTX International. Then he says FTX U.S. had enough to repay customers. But as he put it, not everyone necessarily agrees with this. So we are getting some updates from Bankman Freed. Lawyers for FTX overnight saying in a filing that it has roughly a million creditors when the crypto company filed its bare bones paperwork last week. FTX said it could have more than 100,000 creditors. We do expect to get a full list of its 50 biggest by Friday. But we'll bring you the latest updates as we get them. Back to you guys. Fast and flowing. Kate, thank you. Uh, Speaking of, Department of Defense Press Secretary Ryder holds uh, a briefing at the Pentagon right now and saying, we are aware of press reports. We don't have any info at this time. Looking into this and we'll provide an update. The Polish government will hold a meeting later today around 5 p.m. Eastern. So we will continue to monitor that, bring you any other headlines as they come. All right. Thank you, Morgan. Coming up, inflation does seem to be cooling a bit. Wholesale prices rising at a slower pace than expected. What that means for the Fed's hiking strategy and maybe how it changes should you invest. Plus, Taiwan's semiconductor surging after Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, that Berkshire Hathaway said it bought more than $4 billion of the stock in the third quarter. Should you? We'll trade it. Today's three-stock lunch as we head to break. Take a look at some of the stocks hitting new 52-week highs today. The original Fang, Diamondback Energy, Hest, oil company operating big in Guyana, and Cummins. They make engines. It's all about the fossil fuels today. We're back right after this. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Is inflation finally easing? New PPI data coming in lower than expected, rising only 0.2% versus the 0.4% estimate. October's number is 8% higher year over year, though. Let's put that in perspective, shall we? That number is a decline from September's 8.4%. But here to break down what all of this means, Steve Leisman on set with us. Great to see you. Good to see you, Morgan. It was it was a good number, and, and there were a bunch of things to like about it. The 0.8% decline uh, was one of the biggest ones. I think we have on record for this PPI series, which doesn't go back all that far, but goes back into 2012. Um, look up the chain intermediate goods. We're also declining, so the, the pipeline pressure is easing. I think this goes along with the consumer price index. It's not necessarily all that additive to it. Um, here's what we want to look for. This is one month's worth of data. The Fed has said very consistently, we see several months worth of data. So you can start the countdown now, maybe to three months ahead of time, and maybe uh, come the new year when that third report comes in, if we get three in a row, mm. maybe Joker's the Fed, wild. Jo- right, exactly, exactly. Um, I guess that would be a three of a kind, which doesn't be the royal flush, right? Just remember that, or even a flush. I was house. thinking more about the game but, show. Oh, right. But, but how much does... PPI translate to CPI and some of the other key inflation readings that the Fed watches so closely. And I ask that because there's the goods piece of the puzzle, as you were right. just touching on, yeah. and there's the stickier services piece right. of the puzzle, which the Fed seems very focused on. Right. So inside PPI services is this thing called a trade, and that is a, a proxy for margins of retail and wholesale companies. 
that's come down a lot. So, and one of the things that Lel Brainerd, the Fed vice chair, has talked about, and others as well, is this notion that high profit margins have been a piece of the inflation puzzle. So this is good news and bad news for investors in the following way. Um, if the inflation comes down, that's good news. But if it comes down in part because margins are being compressed, it means it kind of changes the investment thesis from for stock some companies from a stock perspective. If part of the thing is, as these prices have come up, companies have been able to make more money, not less. I have a, uh, a base. I think I got a C minus in economics 101 in college. So I need I need some help with this, Steve. So we've heard a lot a of badge we, of honor but, but for I, some people. Yeah, but I talk about oil and gas. So we've heard some things about windfall profits. I don't know if you've heard anything about this. And then I look across a lot of industries and I realize if you have nearly unlimited demand and a nearly unlimited supply of cheap or free money, generally what happens to profit margins across any industry? Yeah. They will go up a lot. Right. I mean, right. nobody had to discount the last couple of years, did right. they? Right. So what what this what what matters in this regard, Brian, is how competitive markets are, because one of the rules of economics that you maybe not gotten a C minus not to rub it in or anything uh, is, is that a higher than normal um, rate of return should not stand in a competitive market. There are questions about how competitive the United States is. But um, so let me ask you this question. Uh-oh. What town do you live in? I live in central New Jersey. Okay, how close is the nearest Home Depot? Two and a half miles. What happened to your local hardware store? Well, some have got, it actually just got sold. To be It is still, op- I mean, they struggle. But it, it, now, it I is, don't want to pick on Home Depot no, and talk it, about no, no, Monopoly. There's also a Lowe's. There's also a Lowe's. There's also a Lowe's. There's okay, no so you Menards, have that. Okay. That's in Wisconsin. All right, okay, so you have that. Com- but how competitive is a place if you go further they're, out? On a pricing perspective, right? they're not. You I don't mean, really. No. Now, now, Home Depot tries to maintain its, its margin by keeping prices low. However, it depends on how competitive the economy is. But if you have a situation where uh, profits are outsized, and you have the ability to get into the business and compete them, they should be competed away. Now, somebody laughed at me in the uh, last show when I said that companies will lower prices. Wait, the last show is the exchange. No, I, not not I the look, last show. Okay. Sorry, two shows, two oh, shows ago. Stephanie Link looked at me like I was out of my mind when I said companies will indeed lower prices. She thinks that's not possible. I think she has an argument that maybe they're going to hold on to their profits and their margins. But um, Well, how do you, how sticky, so I, how sticky is wage inflation? Wage inflation can be very sticky, and that's another issue But the Fed is looking for. So the, you, what you need is a tandem here. You need prices to, to come down. You also need the labor market slack to happen. If that can happen continue, you know, together over a three-month period, we can perhaps have some easing or, or a situation of a pause by the Federal Reserve. Understood. But it sounds like if there's margin compression has to be a piece of this puzzle, essentially, which is what you're suggesting, that stocks may have to fall further before that actually happens. Right. But if that happens before there's a lower with a lower funds rate, that could offset it a little bit. Understood. It's a difficult calculus. It's, that's why we spend it's TV. That's why we talk about it for 15, for 15 hours a day. Steve Weisman, thank is you. Is it that long? It's that long. It's 15 hours of live programming. And you do about 12 of them. Sometimes. Sometimes. And, and 5 a.m., 5 right. p.m., you know. They're going to hate me in the back if I keep talking, so I'm just going to shut up now. No, because we're following a lot of developing stories, so actually it was fantastic. All right, so. Thanks. Is the market reacting, <laughs> overreacting? We know it's reacting, but is it overreacting? Today's lighter-than-expected PPI like it did with the CPI last week. David Speak, why don't you stick around for this, Steve? David Speak is president and CIO of Guidestone Capital Management, which has over $18 billion in assets. It's like, David, every... Every tenth of a percent on some, you know, inflation data because the price of socks went down and the market goes up 500 points. Is that is that the right way to look at it? Well, I've got two numbers for you, Brian, and you guys have already covered a lot of this. Two percent and three point seven percent. Two percent being the Fed's target for core inflation, which we're a long way from. And three point seven percent being the current unemployment rate. Neither of those are consistent with what we're seeing in the equity markets in the bond market right now. The markets are way ahead of themselves. It takes 12 to 13 months for Fed policy to have a meaningful impact on inflation. Now, obviously, inflation is going to come down gradually. But as you were also talking about, profit margins are going to compress because costs are up. And what the Fed is trying to do is reduce consumer demand. That's going to bring revenues down. That means margins compress. That means earnings estimates come down. That means stock prices are still too high. That also leads to a recession. 
And so all of these things lead us to believe that the Fed, uh, that the market is way too focused on this mythical Fed pivot that we don't think we're anywhere near hitting. Well, I guess the question is, David, we, we, if we knew that profit margins were going to come down because it just made sense because they couldn't stay up where they were because, you know, it's oil. By the way, we get a lot of talk about oil and gas profits. Profits in almost every industry, ex-hospitality, were either at or near records because you had unlimited pricing power because of almost right. unlimited demand from the consumer who is flush with cash from cheap money and stimulus. I mean, that's that's a fact. So if you believe margins are going to come down, the only question for stock investors, kind of to Steve's earlier point is, has the market's downturn this year adequately reflected those earnings and margin decline expectations? Absolutely, unequivocally not. not. When you look at what's happened year to day, no. It's all been multiple compression. It's because interest rates are going up. Let me give you a comparison, Brian. We go back to the pre-pandemic kind, February of 2020. We're trading at 18% above that level today with much higher Fed funds rates, a much higher 10-year interest rate, much higher inflation, and a much worse outlook for earnings and economic growth. It makes no sense. The market has yet to price in recession, and that's why we haven't seen credit spreads widen. That's why a lot of the things that normally we see going into recession hasn't occurred. The market doesn't believe a recession is coming. That's the key in our mind. And if profit margins are going to contract, if the Fed is going to be successful at raising the unemployment rate and really taking the consumer out at the knee, which is what they need to do to bring inflation down, we're going to have a recession and we're going to have lower earnings. We think earnings growth today, which is estimated at five and a half percent next year, is likely to be down as much as 10 percent. That is not reflected in stock prices. David Speaker, Guidestone Capital. David, appreciate it. Thank you very much. You bet. Well, let's get to the breaking news of the hour. The Associated Press reporting Russian missiles have crossed into Poland, killing two people. Let's bring in Colonel Jack Jacobs, retired general, NBC News and MSNBC military analyst. Um, thank you for being with us. And at such short notice, still a very developing situation. We do not have confirmation uh, of these headlines that we've just uh, that we've just brought to our viewers, uh, Colonel Jacobs. If, in fact, we are seeing, we have seen Russian missiles cross over into Poland, accidental or not, what would that mean now uh, for this conflict and whether it now spills toward, elicits a reaction from NATO? Well, it should elicit a reaction from NATO, but because NATO is disinclined to get decisively engaged itself in the conflict, except indirectly by sending weapons, uh, materiel, intelligence, and so on to the Ukrainians. The great likelihood is that there will be some strong protest, a denial from Russia, and then NATO will put some more economic sanctions on selected individuals and and entities inside Russia. Uh, Otherwise, it's difficult to envision how NATO would get so exercised about it that it would now want to be physically engaged in a conflict with Russia on Ukrainian soil. Uh, so it is my understanding that we are actually seeing, perhaps uh, based, based on some conversations I've had, uh, the largest barrage of uh, Russian missile strikes on Ukraine to date. Uh, what does that signal about where we are at in this conflict more broadly right now, as we've seen Ukrainians retake Kherson just last week? Well, it's very interesting you should mention that because it tells a great deal about what the capabilities of the Russian military establishment, what their capabilities are. We saw the Russian Russian forces not be able to organize themselves, use their various uh, capabilities on the ground and in the air, in order to overwhelm the Ukrainians. And then ultimately, uh, after concentrating more on the east and subsequently the south and not doing very well there, ultimately withdrawing to the other side of the river. The, the, the Russian capability is not focused on ground troops, which they obviously cannot employ to uh, any, great, uh, any great success. But they do have an enormous capability at indirect fire. This is artillery, both short range and long range, and, and missiles. 
some of which are theirs, many of which they're now purchasing elsewhere because they've used up a lot of their stockpiles. But that is their default capability. That is, just send lots of indirect fire, Mm -hmm. fire indiscriminately. Sometimes they're precision guided at specific targets, but by and large, using it as a terror weapon in order to bring the Ukrainians and, in an ancillary way, uh, NATO uh, uh, to heal. Uh, And that's what they'll continue to do, because they can't do it on the ground. Colonel, if... If we do get the con- again, and I want to be clear with our audience, okay, there are we know that Poland has said they're convening an emergency national security meeting. We know the AP has reported, citing senior U.S. officials, that a Russian missile or missiles did land in to Poland just on the border over Ukraine and potentially killed a couple of people. Once we get confirmation of that, assuming we do, what is the proper response, if anything, by Poland? Uh, well, uh, they don't have a proper response because they're not going to go to war over Ukraine, even if they themselves have been attacked. They're not going to go to war by themselves. Uh, they would have to. They would have to invoke uh, in, invoke uh, Section Five and bring all of NATO into the conflict. And all of NATO is probably not interested in doing that. And th- thus, the result that probably. The most likely event is that there'll be more sanctions, uh, not that NATO is going to get involved physically in the, in the battle, even though, even though Poland itself was attacked. They'll, they'll attempt to get all of NATO involved, but there'll be a lot of resistance, particularly from Germany, France, Italy, and particularly the United States. Well, the, 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 with the sanctions, we're going to bring in another voice in just one second, Colonel. One more to you, which is... We know the full sanctions on Russian oil, which is being done basically by effectively outlawing insurance on shipments of Russian oil cargoes at sea. No one's going to put a super tanker with $500 million of oil uninsured on on the water. Those kick in on December 5th. We already have extensive sanctions against Russia and its financial institutions, uh, imports in the United States. What other sanctions that you know of are there? That could work because we know that right now we have not actually, it appears, done a whole lot to starve Russia of the revenue that they need. Well, there there are two things that are are possible, and we've been reluctant to do it. And that is, first of all, to to take them off the SWIFT system altogether. The banking system. Yeah, the whole, take them off the entire banking system. We've been reluctant to do that. But that's one thing that we could do. The second thing, um, and we've been reluctant to do this too, is is to punish those countries that ignore uh, the sanctions, and, and that might include some of our own allies. And we've been reluctant to do that too. But if this does uh, indicate a wider uh, a spreading of the war, such that our allies become embroiled in it. And they will demand that we that we uh, that we support that, and and the, we probably would support it under those circumstances. But we've been reluctant we've been reluctant to take them off the banking system, and as a result, the sanctions have not been nearly as effective as they otherwise would have been. Hmm. Um, as this story continues to unfold and develop, as we have senior White House officials saying they cannot confirm the reports yet. Uh, the Pentagon saying that it's looking into these reports. Let's bring in Dmitry Alperovich, a Silverado Policy Accelerator founder and a former special advisor to the Defense Department. Uh, Dmitry, if I'm not mistaken, you're also an advisor to the State Department, uh, correct? What, uh, what can you tell us about, about what is unfolding right now and any knowledge you might have? Yeah, absolutely. So it appears that a couple of missiles have been uh, have landed in Poland. Uh, they appear to be Russians, although there's not confirmation of that. It, it is possible that the, these might be Ukrainian air defense missiles that mm-hmm. uh, have been launched in order to intercept the Russian missiles and may have gotten off course. So we're waiting for confirmation of that. But most likely the scenario is that this, these are Russian potentially cruise missiles that have been targeted at the border uh, towns in Ukraine that um, went off course and, and hit Poland and, and potentially killed uh, two people on the ground there. 
uh, disturbing development, but uh, you know, I agree with your uh, other guests that this is not going to be a cause for war, um, and uh, everyone is going to be uh, focused on how do you de-escalate the situation and how do you make sure that this doesn't happen again. So potentially we're going to be focused on providing more air defense systems to Poland. They have several Patriot batteries already um, and are getting some new short-range air defense systems as well. So potentially they'll be demanding more of those to put on the border uh, to make sure that um, any of these missiles that are uh, flying over the border would be intercepted in the future. Yeah, I, I would imagine that acquisition by Poland of those weapon systems, though, is going to take a little bit of time. So in terms of de-escalation in these key moments, these key hours uh, right now, as we do get more information, what does that look like uh, in the more immediate term? Well, first, they're going to, of course, try to ascertain uh, whose missile this was. And um, that may not be necessarily easy because, um, uh, of course, both countries are using some of the same uh, systems. We know, for example, that the Russians are using their S-300 air defense systems as ground-to-ground in ground-to-ground attack mode, essentially launching those missiles to attack Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine, of course, uses S-300s as well to defend against that. Um, so it may not be possible to, to ascertain quickly um, if it's a caliber cruise missile. Um, um, that's going to be very clear because Russia is the only one that possesses those. So it's going to take a little bit of time to figure that out. Uh, but, um, you know, if it is uh, proven to be a Russian missile, I, I presume that there will be a demand from Poland uh, uh, for Russia to apologize for this act and prov- potentially provide compensation. Um, and we'll see what the Russian response to that is going to be. Okay. Uh, We appreciate you both joining us and joining us on such short notice as this story continues to unfold. Uh, Thank you. And just getting a check on the markets right now, because unbelievably, Brian, uh, the major averages are higher and the Dow has actually even just ticked slightly higher. It's basically sitting at the flat line, uh, despite the conversation that we're having. Yeah, because again, and I want to be very clear, and I think we've made it clear, nothing, and Dimitri actually, nothing is confirmed. The U.S. government has not confirmed much. No. And if it and if it is a situation, as the conversation we just had would uh, suggest, where these are, in fact, uh, it's an incident involving Russian missiles in a NATO ally, Poland. Uh, it is very unlikely this is a situation where anybody's going to go to war and that conflict is going to escalate and involve more players. And it could even be Ukraine, to Dimitri's point, Ukrainian missile. There's pictures on yes. the Internet. But again, folks, these pictures could be something else. Remember that this is happening all the time now. So we're working to get confirmation at the highest levels. AP citing a government source is what we've got. And we know the Polish government is convening an emergency meeting. That's what we have. It's probably why the markets have come back just a touch. Can I say the power lunch returns right after this? You sure can. Thank you. We're back right after this. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. We're just going to get a quick check on the market for you uh, with 90 minutes left in the trading day. Stocks, bonds, commodities, the CEO of Winnebago. But let's start with the market specifically. The Dow has just turned positive again, uh, albeit barely, uh, up about 45 points right now. It has dip- It started the day up several hundred points, uh, dipped lower, and is now uh, back near the flat line. The S&P uh, is at 39.89, so it's slipped back below that 4,000 level that we saw earlier in the trading session, up about eight-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ uh, is your big performer today, up nearly 1.5%. It is communication services and tech stocks and consumer discretionary that are really leading the charge, even as we see, or because we see, uh, the yield on the 10-year under a little bit of pressure this mo- this morning, this afternoon as well. It's morning in Guam. Well, I usually anchor in the morning, so I'm. You too. It's like you too. Slip of the tongue, right? So it's all good. All right, let's let's uh, move out a little bit and have some fun. Talk to a company that has a good read on the consumer and the economy. And that is Winnebago. They are holding their investor day today, and they're also making a push into electric RVs, recreational vehicles. Winnebago, of course, you know, they're a motorhome manufacturer. They got Newmar. They got Chris Craft. 
recently reporting better than expected quarterly numbers, but did see slowing sales in one key segment. Shares of Winnebago down about 20 percent so far this year, but up about 8 percent over the past month as well. Here in a first on CBC interview is Michael Happy. He's the CEO of Winnebago. And Michael, listen, uh, as a boater, as somebody who used to own a motorhome, I get your products. I got it. They're fun. But they're also mostly discretionary. And some of them can be quite expensive. How are you seeing the U.S. consumer right now? Well, we're certainly seeing a normalization of demand after two record years of retail as consumers flock to the outdoors. And there's no doubt that the macroeconomic uh, headwinds and certainly some softening consumer sentiment uh, with recent conditions is uh, beginning to have an impact on on some of the sales on on our side. But uh, we still continue to see uh, consumers engaged in the outdoors and and, uh, you know, waiting to, to make that investment in the future. Yeah, because if, if I'm going for like a 40-foot custom Newmar, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking uh, the price of a house in, in many towns. How does the financing market impact your business? You know, we, we see the uh, retail financing side of our business right now uh, in terms of consumer demand being relatively stable. The, the consumer credit scores are, are solid uh, and the retail uh, finance companies are, are still lending. Uh, we have a product range uh, from a $25,000 travel trailer to a, a $1.7 million motorhome. And we also have two boat brands for people that want to get out on the water. So the, the breadth and diversity of our product line really helps us during these these tricky times. Michael, just to dig into what you said about uh, kind of this this return to pre-pandemic normal, um, what are the signs that you see suggesting that it's pre-pandemic normal? And what would you be looking for to suggest that we were actually, that it was signaling an economic slowdown? What's the difference between those two, uh, I guess, metrics from your standpoint where the consumer is concerned? Well, I would say in terms of of net consumer participation in the outdoors, uh, the new normal is higher than pre-pandemic. Now, economic conditions in our industries are turning, uh, you know, towards uh, what they were before COVID, uh, sans some changes in things like gas prices and interest rates, which are not uh, immaterial, uh, things we we track closely. But, uh, you know, our company really tries to innovate and and draw new customers uh, into the outdoors as, as best we can. And we are seeing that. We're seeing uh, a diversity of a first-time buyer uh, that is just younger, uh, more diverse uh, than we've ever seen before, which I think bodes well from a secular demand standpoint down the road. Well, that seems like uh, the right segue to ask you about this electric RV. Um, what is it? What are some of the details around it? Uh, how quickly will it make its way out to the marketplace? And what does that price point look like versus the more traditional gasoline-powered? Yeah, we introduced our first concept version of this ERV back in January of 2022. And we've really spent uh, the rest of this calendar year continuing to develop the product. We're we're putting the product now in the hands of some of our consumers who we trust most to give us some feedback during the rest of the development process. And we'll have some new news in January of 23 about specific timing in terms of a, of a launch. Uh, you will see the price of the ERV be uh, a little bit more expensive than a traditional uh, ICE version. Uh, but the great benefit of these products is the ability to uh, live off the grid uh, without a power source and enjoy the outdoors, be closer to that biking trail, uh, that hiking trail, uh, and still feel good about uh, your impact uh, on the outdoors. Michael, next time we're going to do this interview, it's going to be on like a, a 35-foot launch GT. Can we make that happen? Oh, that would be amazing. I love it. You, <laughs> you, you know your products. That's a great uh, Chris Craft boat, and, uh, and we'll absolutely make that happen. Chris Craft, legendary, legendary brand. Michael, appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, follow the fun. Some of the newest 13F filings. Show what the big hedge funds are buying right now, or at least did six weeks ago. We're going to trade some of those names next. Welcome back. Today, we are tracking some of Wall Street's heaviest hitters. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway purchased a $4.1 billion stake in Taiwan Semiconductor. 
Daniel Loeb's third point built a $265 million stake in Bath & Body Works. And Bill Ackman's Pershing Square increased its stake in Canadian Pacific Railway, which is valued at roughly a billion dollars at the end of September. Should you follow? Let's ask Victoria Green. She's founding partner and CIO at G-Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, great to have you on. Let's start with Taiwan Semiconductor. Yeah, that's a buy for me. I think when Warren Buffett sees value in a growth stock, it's, it's something to pay attention to. Look, they have this 53% or better gross margin mantra. I feel like the next five years, they'll be able to grow that. And if you look at it trading at about a 13 times PE, down about 28% on the year before the buy was announced, it really is an attractive stock. Now, there are headwinds. I think you realize when Buffett starts to build a position in the stock, he's not looking to make a quick buck in the next week or month. It may be a year or two before it pays dividends. Be patient. It's got 40% of its revenues from smartphones, so it may face some headwinds. Well-run company, largest chip maker in the world. It's a buy for me. All right, next up is a Bath and Body Works. <laughs> you're, yeah, laugh, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? I just can't get on board with it. I mean, it finally finished the spinoff last year with L Brands and Victoria's Secret. It's a specialty retailer. It's burning free cash flow. If you look at its cash on hand, has dwindled the last three quarters versus a debt at $6 billion. Just not something I'm, I'm getting on board with. Its sales were 5% lower. It's expected to be 7% lower in Q3. Just not a stock that's attractive. It's stuck in this trading range, 30 to $40. Downtrends attract. I just don't see the catalyst story behind the stock, other than maybe it's cheap. But it might be cheap for a reason. All right. Final name, Canadian Pacific. Yeah, railroads are a great play, and especially during difficult times, especially they're very exposed to grain. And uh, Canadian grain exports are up about 7% on the year. And they should complete their merger with uh, Kansas City Southern in Q1. And that's expected to generate about $300 million in synergy. So we see this as a well-run company, very strong pathway to, to solid earnings, continued Growth and earnings, I think their runway for 23 is intact and, and, and able to support revenue and, and earnings growth. So we look at the stock as a great place to be. Yes, it's gotten a little expensive, but we think it could continue to rise because it's such a quality stock with recurring revenues. So right now in this environment, I still see them as a song buy. All right. We like it. Two and one. Victoria Green. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Up next. And we got the we got the lab. We got the Bath and Body Work uh, chuckle there. All right. As Americans pile up debt again. A key interest rate is hitting an all-time high. Under the microscope with Dominic Chu is next. Oh, hi. Welcome back to Power Lunch. Interest rates on credit card debt are high, but some store credit cards are even higher. Dominic Chu joining us now with the details. Hi, Dom. So this is interesting because when it comes to credit cards, we all know that the interest rates are high. But when it comes to store brand credit cards, meaning the ones that you get directly from your either furniture store or electronics retailer, those the interest rates have actually hit a record high right now. According to CreditCards.com, they looked at a study of all of those credit cards out there, store brand, retail oriented and whatnot, and retail credit card interest rates are now pushing 27%. Now, that's a huge deal because it does represent a record high, one of the after effects of the Fed raising interest rates, but it's having a more profound effect on this specific part of the market for those consumers who take out credit card debt with regard to just individual retail outlets or stores. Now, one of the things that it's done is push the costs of that interest up significantly for a lot of people who take out that kind of debt. Now, according to their study, they looked at a number of assumptions and looked at the total debt that people carry. The rising rates right now account for about $1.6 billion dollars of new additional interest charges based upon those borrowers who just pay off the minimum amount on their credit cards every single month. That's a big deal because it is costing consumers a heck of a lot more money. One of the things to keep a close eye on, though, is some of the stats around it. For store-only cards on average APRs or those average percentage rates, it's 28%. For retail co-branded credit cards, it's around 25%. And general purpose credit cards, those that don't have a necessarily store affiliation, are just around 22.5% as well. But what it goes more to tell you a little bit about is this notion that as we talk about the Federal Reserve and its numbers that say that more and more households are taking on consumer debt, one of the reasons, yes, is rising rates, but also use of certain types of credit cards. And that's the reason why it's so key, because for certain types of those cards, those consumers may feel more of a pinch. And this is all critical 
as we head into that all-important holiday shopping season where promotions for credit card openings mm. could be more in play. Yeah, it's, it's to your point, it's a key time. And the great irony here is that as folks savings begins to draw down, maybe they'd start spending more because it is an inflationary environment. Those rates on their cards are going to continue to go up and it becomes somewhat of a cycle. Well, one of those important points to look at is from the consumer side of things. There are a lot of reasons why people open up these store brand credit cards to begin with. Oftentimes it's because they come with no interest you know, or, or, or just no interest at all for some of these types of products, assuming that you pay them off in full. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you have to keep a close eye on right now is whether if you open these cards that you pay off the balances before the interest free period expires, because many of them will actually go back and retroactively assess you interest for the balances, even if you just paid it off right after the balance point was over. So that's something to keep a close eye on. That's sneaky. Just watch out when you open credit cards. Plus, she's 28% APR in store brands. Some of them, by the way, push up north of 30, just so you know. All right. One, another way to watch your wallet. Dom Chu, thank you. All right. Just want to wrap up the end of the show, folks, uh, with, with the news that's out there. By the way, social media, Twitter, everything else, we've reported on it. Want to be clear what we know, what we don't. AP has reported that a senior U.S. official, here we go. AP has reported that a senior U.S. official has cited a Russian missile potentially landing in Poland. Again, the story's going around like wildfire. There's a lot more that we don't know than we know in the U.S. government, Morgan, and you, by the way, speaking with them on the phone. They have not confirmed anything. This is a situation that is uh, being assessed. It is a fluid situation. We do know, uh, based on uh, NBC reporting now that a senior administration official does say the U.S., Uh, They can confirm that something has hit Poland. They do not know what that is. It's not confirmed that it was a Russian missile, and that is why we continue to watch the situation. A lot we don't know. Closing bell will pick up the story and more now. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 